morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sydney live stream, and it's a blessing for you to come along and hear God's Word. Um, just an announcement as we get started that in we've been in conversation with the board, I have, and we've been talking about when we're going to be meeting in person, and we're shooting for after-school holidays in July, so that's something to keep in mind. When we start meeting in person, we won't be able to do the live stream, um, but we still will be posting it to the website um, or to YouTube, uploading it, and of course, you're welcome to watch that, but when we meet in person on a Sunday, it'd be awesome for you to fellowship with us, and uh, may the Lord guide you in your worship and service of Him. So we'll be in Luke chapter 11 today, and why don't we pray together? Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us all. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power, that you are mighty to save, that you are glorious, and you have all authority. You're able to forgive sins, and it's by Jesus' wounds we are healed. Thank you for his shed blood that washes us clean for the new life you've given us through him. And I pray you would fill us with your spirit so we could hear your word and obey and be led by you in how we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was studying this passage, I was really struck by the richness of God's word. Because when we read the Bible, we are, we're reading a book that has been... Uh, prayed over, meditated over, analyzed for thousands of years, and unlike a gold mine that it's a hotbed of activity for a while, but it's later abandoned because all the resources have been drained out, God's Word, it continues to deliver His life-giving wisdom uh, bountifully. It never dries up. It never grows old. It's the life-giving, sustaining wisdom of God for us today. Think of fishermen, anglers, they keep their best spots a secret because they don't want other people uh, going to that site and fishing it out because there's a limited stock of fish. But it's not true with God's Word. Everybody that has a revelation, learning things from God's Word, if they were to share that, there would be even more wisdom and more knowledge to be gained. It's like the truth would be discovered in greater abundance the more we talk about God and His Word. And we're coming to a familiar passage. I'm blessed that it's not my aim or my job to try to find a new spin on things, or, um, but to just proclaim the eternal truth of God's Word that Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit, He's going to make it relevant to your life. He is going to make it fresh and powerful. And uh, it'll be applicable to your life now and forever because God's word's never going to pass away. In chapter 10, Jesus taught the, through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Instead of justifying inaction by a narrow definition of, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus reversed that and said, you're to be a neighbor to, to meet the need right in front of you. And the teaching was balanced as Jesus taught Martha and Mary. Martha was distracted by much serving, but Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She chose that good and necessary part of hearing Jesus, and it's so easy for us to be overwhelmed and to wonder if God even cares about us when he's faithful to continue teaching us and helping us to walk in his ways, to rest in his faithfulness, and to hear him speak. And may he speak to our hearts today. So in Luke chapter 11, we start in verse 1. 
Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Jesus prayed often. And on one occasion, he finished praying and a disciple came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. John had taught his disciples to pray and this disciple desired to learn from Jesus to pray. And prayer is a vital part of the Christian walk. It's something we have to learn to do. And the cool thing about prayer is a young child can pray effectively and fruitfully. Um, And no matter how long we've walked with Jesus, there's still room to grow. We can always pray more. We can always be better guided in our prayers by the Spirit. We can always learn uh, to embrace that discipline of silence and waiting on the Lord, making Him our focus. And there was something about the way that Jesus prayed and this place that prayer had in his life that made this disciple want to learn from him to pray. Now, is that true about you? Are you someone who wonders, like, what's the fuss about prayer anyway? How can people spend hours doing this? Why would they? Are you someone who wants to be taught to pray? Now, notice the disciple does not ask Jesus what to pray or how to pray. He just said, Lord, teach us to pray. There have been countless books and articles written on the subject of prayer. There's been prayer books that have been compiled of uh, prayers to recite and to read. But the Lord Jesus addresses this uh, request very briefly. Prayer is not complicated. We complicate it by neglect or impatience, unbelief, laziness, a careless approach. And I think our biggest fault often is just not praying. It's not our first action, but usually a last resort. It's something that when, when we've tried and something's failed, or we don't see a clear path forward, then we pray rather than praying to God to show us where to go. And prayer can become this duty, almost like a chore that we check off a list that we've incorporated into our lives, like before mealtimes or before bed. And it's not an extension of the relationship that we have with God, which is what it's intended to be. James says that we often ask amiss in our prayers because of selfish motives. We ask with the wrong heart. And Peter says pride and lack of love in relationships, especially with spouses, it can lead to our prayer being hindered. So prayer, it's not a means to our ends. It's intentional fellowship with God, spending time with him, seeking him, making him a priority. And you know, what God has to say to you is infinitely more important than what you say to him. Yet he loves to hear your voice. He wants to hear us pray. Luke 11 verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The sample prayer that Jesus provides here, it's different than the prayer given in Matthew 6, the one we normally call the Lord's Prayer. And it's important because it shows that this isn't intended to be a rote prayer or something that's just memorized or a fixed pattern or model for all prayers. We love patterns. We love formulas. We like to 
analyze and say, well, what aspects of prayer should we be focusing on? And that's fine. Um, but just some observations. See how brief this prayer is. It's very brief. And is it strange to you that Jesus spent all night praying and you can say this prayer in less than 20 seconds? It suggests that that time that he was spending in prayer, he was not just talking the whole time, but he spent a great deal of time listening, waiting on the Lord, being patient. And it's also interesting, the lack of I or me. Jesus taught his disciples to pray together with all in mind, with our and us. He was teaching a group to pray because he said, Lord, teach us to pray. So it makes sense that he would use those pronouns. It's perfectly good and modeled in scripture to pray with I and me like David did in Psalm 51, 1 through 3. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Jesus was teaching his disciples to cast their nets beyond themselves, beyond their own need, to include others as they interceded for them in their requests. And Jesus begins with our Father, which must have been quite shocking to people who, out of reverence for God and his holiness, were trained to not even write his name um, fully because he's so holy and separate. But to this, this saying, our Father, it's claiming a relationship with God uh, to be his child. And it was something that they hardly dreamed possible at the time. Only the, those who know Jesus as Lord can call God their Father by the power of the gospel, by grace we've been born again. We now have God as our Father. And uh, this prayer, it's also stripped of things that we often pray for, right? Does this prayer resemble the things that we usually pray? It may, it may not. It acknowledges God as holy, sovereign, having all power and authority. And if we truly believe that God is greater than all, that he hears our prayers that he has a coming kingdom where we're co-heirs with Christ, that God will provide for all our needs today and for eternity, it would change the way we pray. And the irony is if we believe that, we'll pray more and not less. This prayer of Jesus, it praises God. It's like cheering him on to do awesome things. And Jesus proclaims the kingdom that was among them, the kingdom that was to come. The kingdom of God, it's a spiritual kingdom where Christ sits enthroned in the hearts of his people by faith. It's a physical kingdom where Jesus will set up his throne on earth and rule the nations. It's an eternal kingdom where God will dissolve this universe, create a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells and will be with him forever. There's a time going to come, believe it or not, that everyone who's alive will love and trust and worship and praise God perfectly because we will have been glorified with him. God will see this done. And it's a glorious thing to pray for God to accomplish his will as revealed in scripture because we know we will be heard and God will actually do it. We know the answer is yes and amen. Jesus prayed that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven it was Spurgeon who wrote this. He said, 
He that taught us this prayer used it himself in the most unrestricted sense. When the bloody sweat stood upon his face and all the fear and trembling of a man in anguish were upon him, he did not dispute the decree of his father, but bowed his head and cried, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus was troubled in the garden. He was troubled when his hour had come, but he rested in his father's will, trusting his father. And that, that is an example for us, that when we are under the pump, when we are struggling, that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, he will help us to pray. Sin and death was never God's will, yet God allowed Jesus to die to redeem sinners so that life could be received by them and they could be saved. We could be saved. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father and it's fitting we should do the same. And he prayed day by day we would receive our daily bread. People in Jesus' time, they were paid daily for their labor. They would use their, the, so they didn't get paid weekly or bi-weekly or monthly. They would use those wages to buy food and their necessities. And uh, like the foolish rich man, we feel a lot more comfortable and secure when we have provisions stored up for many days. When our pantries are full, when our bank accounts are stocked, when we can see, okay, we've got this covered, we feel better. But our Father in heaven who feeds the birds of the air day by day, he too will feed us. We're to look to him for our daily sustenance and provision. And he will... He is faithful despite our little faith. Even a little faith makes a huge difference when we trust him and look to him. Jesus taught his disciples to seek forgiveness for their sins. It's true that all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been washed clean through the blood of Jesus. Yet God will often bring our sin to light and convict us, and we must repent. Otherwise, there will be a division. There will be a separation between us and God and we won't experience the close fellowship he desires to have with us. Uh, we, need to, we need forgiveness as much as we need food to eat. Uh, that's the only way to have fellowship with God, is to be forgiven, to be washed clean. We sin in so many ways. We sin by disobedience, by not doing, so by not doing the right thing, by doing the right thing with the wrong attitude or motive, um, and or failing to meet God's standard. We've tried, but we've fallen short of perfection. In God alone, there's forgiveness, and it would be hypocrisy for us to ask forgiveness for ourselves and not to give freely forgiveness to others who have offended us. And Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. He also prayed, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the Bible makes it clear that God never leads anyone into temptation to sin. That sin and those evil desires come from within us. There's that, the thing is the temp, a temptation to us because there's something wrong in our hearts that's not right before God. And God will test us. He does it to prove us. By his grace, he'll always give us an opportunity to pass that test and also to find a way of escape for us as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with, with, with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, sometimes temptation for us can be so strong that we think no one 
could have possibly resisted that temptation. It was, there was no way. It's too strong. But God's word says that's a lie. God allows us to face temptations to reveal the condition of our hearts so we can repent. There were things wrong inside of us that we thought were okay. And he's using our failure to point out our need to repent and to rely upon him for strength and guidance. How to flee from temptation. How to resist the devil so he will flee. And those who have the mentality of like, okay, temptation, bring it on. Or, okay, Satan, take your best shot. Those who want to flex their spiritual authority or... Uh, it ends in disaster for the proud. This word temptation, by extension, it means adversity. And only God can deliver us from our adversary, Satan. And this deliverance, it does not always come through avoiding pains as we see Jesus. He, he faced a temptation to call down angels to protect him, to evade the cross, to, to uh, do his own will rather than the Father's will. But Jesus endured and experienced pains, and the result of Christ's submission and obedience is glorious forever. And we are partakers of that victory. Luke 11, verse 5. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Jesus continued to teach his disciples to pray. He followed up with this story. At midnight, this man receives a visitor. He realizes he has no food to set before him. And so his desperate host goes to his friend's house. He knocks on the door. This is at midnight. And he asks for three loaves of bread. Now, I'm really glad that my friends have never done this to me. Um, I mean, I don't usually have three loaves of bread on hand at any time. But, and the living arrangement in those days was that everyone would live in a single room in the house. They may be sharing the same bed. You would have some prized animals actually in the house with you to protect them. And you can only imagine the inconvenience and the feeling of being put out when, after hours of the baby crying, everything was now still, peace had finally descended on the house, and then you're hearing this knock on the door, and you're like, what is this? And it's someone you know. And you're like, do not trouble me. Everyone's in bed. Now is not the time. I cannot rise and give you the bread. And it's like, He finally stopped speaking, and the knocking continues again. And he's like, go away. Who eats bread in the middle of the night anyway? The dogs are barking. The kids are crying. The whole house is in an uproar. Jesus says, this man would not rise and give him bread because he's his friend, but because he's persistent. And the only way that he's going to get any sleep or rest is if he just gives the guy whatever he wants to get rid of him. Because of his persistence. This man disturbed in bed. Did he help him out of the goodness of his own heart? No. He did it because he just wanted to be rid of that disruption, to find some sleep. He had a self-serving motive. This word persistence, it's translated importunity in the King James Version. 
and uh, it's defined as pressing solicitation, an urgent request, an application for claim or favor which is urged with troublesome frequency. Martin Henry, excuse me, Matthew Henry, he wisely said, we prevail with men by importunity because they are displeased with it, but with God because he is pleased with it. The one who believes that God hears and answers prayer is the one who will be praying and keep praying. We often think of tests or trials limited to uh, a, a test must be something painful or difficult or challenging. But God's, I guess, in our mind, waiting to answer a prayer, it may be he waits to answer that prayer until our faith glows by persistence. We love to see immediate results from our efforts, don't we? We make changes in our diet. We start exercising. We hope that the kilos will just be shedding off. And when we step on the scale two weeks later, we find we've gained weight. Now, when that happens, we're like, what the heck is going on? This is ridiculous. I need some new diet advice. This is not working. And at that point, we start, we either quit or we try something else because it's not working. We're not willing to to try something for three months. No, we're not seeing the results, so we, we can quit. And I think we can do the same thing with prayer. We pray, our prayers don't seem to be answered quickly or in the way we're asking or we hope they would. So we take matters into our own hands so at least something is happening. We're not waiting on the Lord to hear what he would say to us, what we should do. We're not asking for guidance. We're actually telling him how he should act or what he should do. And we can read books by learned men or pastors and prayer warriors and follow their advice. And some of these books even contain prayers for you to read to a certain end. And that almost gives the feeling that unless you say certain phrases or code words, God's not obligated to hear or answer you. Pastor David Guzik in the Enduring Word Commentary, he said this. He said, God often waits for our passionate persistence in prayer. It isn't that God is reluctant and needs to be persuaded. Our persistence doesn't change God. It changes us, developing in us a heart and passion for what God wants. And that's so good. It's so true. God wants to develop that in you when you can say, your will be done, without doubting, without fear, without worry or anxiety. And you wonder why God waits to answer a prayer you've been praying that you know is according to his will. Could it be that he wants you to grow in maturity and faith? Our muscles, they're developed by straining to lift weights, by taxing us with cardiovascular exercise, through exhaustion, through the discipline of persistence and faithfulness to hit the gym, to get up early, to brave the cold, to could keep working when it hurts and it doesn't feel great, knowing that in the end it's going to produce benefits for the body. Prayer, it's like a spiritual gym. It's the weight room where there's a one-time fee for 24-hour access that Jesus Christ paid for with his own blood, where we can come into the presence of God at any time, and that heart that keeps believing, keeps submitting, keeps asking, According to God's will, that's the person who's going to be heard, and that's the one who's going to be strengthened to continue praying and to continue trusting. Luke eleven nine. 
So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus follows on from what he said previously. Luke quotes Jesus connecting the thoughts. So I say to you. So in light of what he's already said, it would be convenient to forget about what Jesus has already said and to latch on to these verses alone as a formula to get anything we want. The idea of having a genie in a bottle, it's attractive because they're part of us that actually wants to be God. We want to ask for something and we want it just to be done. We don't want to have to labor or to, to do anything on, ours, on our uh, behalf instead of praying, besides praying. And Jesus explains there's more to prayer than just asking, but seeking and knocking. That's what the poor host had to do at midnight when he has that visitor come and he's unprepared. He realized he had no bread. He put on his clothes. He tied on his sandals. He went outside in the dark at night. He swallowed his pride and went to his friend's house where he knew that everyone was in bed. It's quiet. It's not the time to be asking for anything. But he asked. He sought a response. He called out and he kept on knocking until he received what he needed. And it wasn't really for him. It was more for his needy visitor. See, our Father in heaven, he knows what we need. And he knows what needs come up that we don't even know that we need. But praise the Lord, he knows what we need even before we ask him. But he wants us to ask. And he tests us to see if we're going to humble ourselves and ask him and keep asking. And then our lives to reflect our prayers. So the things that we're praying, we actually start doing. We start working towards in faith, trusting that God is going to do it. Matthew Henry, again, he said it so well. We have it from Christ's own mouth. We must not only ask, but we must seek. Must second our prayers with our endeavors. And in asking and seeking, we must continue pressing, still knocking at the same door. And we shall at length prevail. When we ask of God those things which Christ has here directed us to ask, that his name may be sanctified, that his kingdom may come, and his will be done, in these requests we must be importunate. Our actions are to line up with what we're praying. These verses, they hit home with me so personally. My family and I, we moved house last week. And uh, it's an answer to a prayer that we've been praying for a long time. We've been in Australia 10 years, and God has given us a home that we now own. And it really was in the realm of impossible for 10 years and especially in Sydney, but God made it a reality in answer to prayer. And I don't believe that persistent prayer is a formula for home ownership. We prayed content knowing that we have a home in heaven. Jesus is preparing a place for us. But God, by his grace and for his glory, he gave us a house because he wanted to. And it's not a testimony to our great praying, but to God's generosity and his kindness and his power to do the impossible. And I'm, I am absolutely convinced that God is more faithful to answer our prayers than we are faithful to pray. So praying is something we need to do and be, learn to do and continue doing.
Jesus continues in Luke 11, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus began his sample prayer with our Father in heaven. And here he reasons with men who all had a father and or were fathers themselves. And if a hungry son asked his father for bread because he was hungry, no father on earth would give him a stone as if it was a, a reasonable substitute, like that's going to give him any nutrition at all or he could possibly eat it. He wouldn't give him a venomous, unclean serpent to eat when he could have given him a fish with scales that would have been legal under the law. A request for an egg, it would not have been met with a scorpion, something dangerous that could hurt or harm him. No father on earth is perfect, but we know good food when we see it. We know what's good food for kids and what's helpful for them. We know that stones and venomous snakes are no substitute for bread and fish and chips. Jesus said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A father who loves his son wants to supply him with good food so he can grow strong and be healthy. God loves giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him even more. It's God's will to give the Holy Spirit in fullness. In Matthew 6, Jesus told His disciples not to pray with vain repetitions, thinking that they just repeat the same thing, they're going to be heard. Or the more words you say, the more God hears you. But before God in secret who rewards openly. God knows our needs before we ask. He's perfectly equipped to supply all those needs. Some wonder if it's still valid after Pentecost to pray for the Holy Spirit. I believe the Bible teaches it absolutely is valid and necessary. In his letter in believer, to believers uh, in Romans, Paul explained there were two kinds of people. There were those who live and walk according to the flesh, according to the sin nature, and those born again by the Holy Spirit. And it says this in Romans 8, starting in verse 8 to 10. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness." It's true that the only way we can be called Christians and be Christians indeed is when the Holy Spirit has regenerated and lives within us. Paul here calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Now in Acts 19, there's an interesting situation. Paul encountered believers who had never heard of the Holy Spirit. They trusted in Christ as their Savior. They had been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but they didn't understand the doctrine. They were unfamiliar with it. Just like Apollos, who taught the baptism of John when there were things he didn't understand about Jesus, how Jesus fulfilled that, how he was the Son of God. 
And I have no doubt that these believers were already born again through faith in Christ. Yet when Paul prayed with them, it says they received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They began to operate in spiritual gifts. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they exist for the glory of God, for the edification of the body, to build each other up in faith. And these are manifested for all to see. Some desire filling with the Holy Spirit for power so that others can see it and affirm that they are godly or have spiritual authority. But it's entirely appropriate and biblical. We pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us so we might pray according to God's will. We're commanded to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know those who ask will receive the Holy Spirit Therefore, we should pray for God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, that would be filled to overflowing and have that fullness of the Spirit. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 8.22. We're just going to follow on in that same chapter. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Friends, are you overwhelmed with the state of the world and you... You're longing for a better one. You are not alone. It says all creation groans. All creation labors with birth pangs until God ushers in a new era where Jesus Christ reigns and uh, establishes righteousness on the earth. For the first time, there will be peace and justice no government could ever bring. We who have the Holy Spirit, it says we groan within ourselves longing to see Jesus face to face, to have these bodies, these old creaky bodies, exchanged for glorified bodies that are incorruptible, to live together in God's presence forever, where only righteousness dwells. And we groan because of physical pain, right? Just putting on your clothes or getting out of bed or you've done some minor household tasks and you're feeling it the next day. We, we groan because of grief for the lost, because we're powerless to change anything about this world. We know we've been adopted by God because the Holy Spirit is the down payment that God is saving us and will save us, that we are going to heaven to be with him someday. And we have assurance of salvation. It's like we're so eager to cash this in, to claim it for ourselves, knowing that one day in God's presence is better than a thousand. Continuing in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. I love how it says that. We must acknowledge we're not just weak. We are filled with weaknesses, which are continual and many. 
And one of them is not knowing how to pray, what we should say. When we pray silently, we may not even be uttering words. The Holy Spirit, there's something that happens when we pray. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that transcend language, that are able to communicate God's heart to the Father through us, through that intentional praying. The Father, He searches the hearts, He knows the mind of the Spirit, like they're communicating well. Sometimes I'm speaking and I don't communicate very well. I stumble over my words, I, I say the wrong thing, and I'm, I'm told later, oh, you said this, when I think you meant this, or I'm typing something out and there are typos and uh, some things that don't even make any sense. The Holy Spirit will always make intercession for us according to the will of God. We can be praying for the wrong thing with the wrong motives and the wrong reasons and stumble over our words, yet by God's grace, there's a spiritual work going on that can move heaven and earth. Jesus is involved in this process too. Hebrews 7, 24, it says, but he because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8.28, it's one of those verses often quoted alone. It builds on what was previously spoken of. The groanings of all creation, the groanings of us within ourselves, under pressure, trials, and pain, and suffering, it works together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, and God allows these pains and difficulties and things that make us groan even audibly so we might pray, so we might exercise faith in Him to make our requests known to keep praying persistently, to keep seeking, to keep asking, to keep knocking. God may not see fit to change our situation or to do the things we would want, but we can know He is changing us. You are being changed. It's like that weight that's sitting there in the weight room. It hasn't changed. You can lift it over and over and over. That weight remains the same, but you're being changed. Your body is becoming stronger. Those sinews and uh, muscle fibers are getting uh, elastic and strong to be able to carry more weight. When we pray to our Father for the Holy Spirit who helps us to pray in our weaknesses, that's a prayer God delights to answer. Because how can we pray aright without the Holy Spirit guiding us? Because the Holy Spirit and because Jesus is interceding for us, we don't need to worry about what to say or how to pray and how good it is to learn to pray as we follow Jesus. It's so good to pray according to Scripture. When you read prayers in the Bible, we know that these are prayers that um, are approved by God. And so to pray his prayer back to him, to say, Lord, you've said this, now do it. I trust you. I, I know this is your will, and I'm going to rest in your timing. When I started barbecuing meat low and slow, I learned quickly the best way to draw the ire of those uh, barbecue veterans was to ask for an estimate of how long it would take to cook a particular cut of meat. So someone's like, hey, I want to do a brisket. How long? How long should I be 
uh, prepared for. And they're like, no, 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 wrong question. You never cook by time, you cook by temperature. Temperature of your barbecue and the internal temperature of the meat. Time doesn't matter. And I think prayer is a similar thing. I can't tell you how long you have to keep praying the same thing according to God's will. But we ought to pray and we ought to keep praying until God's work, His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how long you keep praying. You pray until it's done. And God's the one who said, it is done. It is finished. And he is the one who brings what's not into existence by his grace. And then praise him for answering your prayer. Praise the Lord that he hears prayer, that he teaches us to pray, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And that through prayer, God is changing us for good. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us all, that you do intercede for us. And we are weak, chronically weak, and we are forgetful. And we don't believe as we ought. We don't pray as often as we ought. And we, we take matters into our own hands and prove our unbelief. Lord, I pray you would teach us to pray, that we would pray. We'd have a hunger and a desire to enter into your presence, that we would want to be strengthened in faith, that we'd want to... Um, join together with other believers and pray, to pray to you secretly on our own, to have a relationship with you, that prayer would be an extension of the real life and the connection we have through Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for your abundant provision. Thank you that you are our Father, that you hear our prayers and you delight to give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks you. So Lord, teach us to pray to keep seeking, to keep asking, to keep knocking, that our lives would line up with our prayers and that our lives would be lived in praise for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.